0: Proposal for a tribal authority to combat petty crime The police are not our friends. The best tribals can hope for is for the police to act professionally, meaning they will do the job they were hired to do. The job of the police is not defined by civil society. Policing is a militarized activity which puts policing under the political equivalent of the nobility. Nobles are the administrative body of the military, or was in olden days. Politicians now occupy this position. Politicians are not civilians, they are the nobility, by another name. As such, politicians are the administrative body of the military. Politicians are part of the administrative elite. Logically, policing must be under the authority of the military. Governments attempt to keep the two bodies divided, but there has to be the possibility of coordinating the two groups. The National Guard exists simply as an acknowledgement of this. The National Guard is part of the military that exists to aid local and national police forces. Ideally, as civilians we are not armed, and we are not authorized to use arms to settle our disputes. The Code of the Wild West is no longer deemed appropriate to settle issues, much less the doctrine of an eye for an eye. Civilians do not encompass the military, nor do we administrate or have power over armed factions. The armed forces are under the nobility which are the highest supervisory authority of the military and its auxiliaries. But this paper separation belies the real fact that it is the peasantry that serve as the military and policing units. It is not possible to train men to be police and military without training the peasantry in the use of arms. The military has two related purposes. The primary role of the military is to protect the state from military units, not under the jurisdiction of the nation's nobility or administrative elite. A related purpose is to protect state interests from internal threats. All internal threats are by definition, threats from civilians. Internal threats arise when subjects challenge the hegemony of the nobility. The common denominator in this is the property of the elite. The ultimate purpose of the police and military is the protection of the property the elite has administrative power over. The state retains a monopoly on force for two reasons related to the purposes of the military. Monopoly power gives the state the strongest position vis a vis an external threat. Monopoly power on the use of force mitigates the possibility of threats arising from the underclass. These can be viewed as being threats to the administrative power of the elite, exercised over property. Civilians, when opposing the elite, act as a civilian force or as an insurrection. January 6th is considered a more traumatic event than 9-11 by the nobility. A revolt of the peasants is always more traumatic to the upper echelons than an external threat. If the people rise up as a military unit that is considered a civil war, The onset of civil war requires that a military group be formed to fight the nobility and an administrative elite assume a supervisory role over the military. These conditions were not met on January 6, but had they been, had the protesters been armed with weapons and a plan, a coup would have succeeded. There were no means to stop a coup had a coup been in progress. The government was totally unprepared. However, had the protesters fallen for the trap, armed themselves and attempted a coup, Democrats would have declared martial law and ended democracy and all civil liberties. The capital would have fallen, but this is merely an administrative center. The real power, which is the control of police and military, would have remained with the elite. The need to develop an alternative military is why civil wars are rare. Peasant uprisings are more frequent but are rarely successful. Even when civil wars are successful what usually happens is the exchange of one elite group with another. The people remain the pawns of a power struggle between two power centers. Creating a civil authority under tribal elders is easier, natural and provides a respite for military occupation. A civil authority is a way to transfer leadership from the military to elders without directly challenging the authority of the nobles. This process can be viewed as one in which the elders remove authority in a consistent and formal way from the warrior class. Indeed, we have seen many civil authorities or elders rise up over the years, but they were never provided with formal recognition by the citizenry. Leaders need to be formally recognized as tribal elders to provide a counterpoint to the power of the nobility or military elite. One of the suggestions made to stop school shootings is to arm teachers. Governments oppose these kinds of solutions. Nobles oppose anything that suggests a challenge to the military's monopoly on the use of force. The nobility generally opposes the right of citizens to protect their property. We are told to call the police. Few jurisdictions allow citizens to perform a citizen's arrest. The right of a law-abiding person to protect themselves from attack, while seemingly rational, strikes at the heart of the military structure of our nations. We as subjects, are the property of the state and it is the state that has the final authority to protect its property the ability of the person to protect their property is the same power that might be used to oppose the state's claim on the property of the citizen the military is under the authority of the nobility military leadership good guys with guns are civilians peasants and juntas do not like armed peasants the proper and natural authority of a people are its elders. So, despite the fact that an armed and empowered citizenry makes logical and logistical sense, it does not make political sense to the powers that be. Yet, it is possible to establish a civil authority under elders, without directly threatening the monopoly power of the state. A civil authority is an ad hoc group of civilians under the jurisdictional authority of an elder charged with the authority to apprehend and hold and charge a suspect with minor property and misdemeanor crimes, such as a disturbance of the peace. Civil authorities have the right to hold hearings and adjudicate penalties, restitution, and terms of release. The civilian or tribal authority program formalizes a right that has accrued to tribal peoples from the dawn of time. It is part of the common law always recognized in law, but never given a formal structure until now. Tribal society is founded on the principle of reciprocal obligations. This concept was formalized in the concept of the free market. Money was developed to permit the concept of the reciprocal exchange to be detached from the physical trading partners and transferred onto the tribe itself. The debt owed one was a debt owed by all. This is what the church was ultimately about and what it means to have faith and to do works of faith. An economy is tribals exchanging goods and services using an accounting system to track credits or debits. The accounting requires a means of exchange and unit of account so that the credits and debits can be quantified and made visible to the tribe. The value of an item must be quantified in a way tribals can see and manipulate in real time. This is the purpose of a currency. By creating a formal means of quantifying who owes what to whom the tribe becomes a market and the market becomes the moral fabric of the tribe. Markets make it possible for a person who has been helped by one person to help another and by this means, liquidate his obligation. Credits and debits and reciprocation become divorced from individuals and become market events. Obligations are divorced from individuals and made tribal concerns. Ultimately, it is the tribe that is benefited and exploited by the actions of its members. It is the community that retains or ought to retain and exercise the justice function. Justice in this sense is a reconciliation of economic inputs and outputs. The action of a criminal creates an economic abnormality or unreconciled balance in the tribal economy. The tribe must at some point demand a reconciliation of accounts. A tribal that robs is required to make good the benefit obtained. The tribal economy, in the form of a tribal authority, demands the tribe be recompensed for the balance outstanding. The civil authority is a mechanism utilized by a tribal people to reconcile an otherwise unrecoverable loss. Imagine a robber holding up a corner store. If the robber escapes the store, The owner or the insurance company suffers a loss. Over time, this loss will spread out over the economy of the tribe or community. Every market loss and gain is eventually felt by the community. Even criminals are harmed in the long run by the actions of criminals, but they gamble, they will gain more than they lose. The civil authority exists to ensure this calculation is wrong. If the robber is caught using conventional means, it usually only happens after considerable police work has been done and after, a costly trial conducted by the justice system. The robber may be jailed or paroled, either way the result is another cost is imposed on the market, which means the pocketbook of tribals. The economy of the tribe absorbs the cost of the crime, the cost of apprehension, the cost of a trial the cost of any appeals and the cost of incarceration. Even if the criminal is fined, none of this money is likely to defray the expenses the tribal economy has incurred because of the criminal's actions. Civil society has a right and duty to seek ways to reduce the cost of crime because it is the tribe that finances justice and incurs the cost of criminal activity. To do this, the cost of committing a crime for the criminal has to be increased substantially. The first step in stopping crime is to reduce the probability a crime will be committed. The second step is to increase the probability the criminal will be apprehended after the crime has been committed. The third need is to reduce the cost of jurisprudence, that is the cost of bringing the case to a close. The civil authority is a program that addresses all three needs. To reduce crime, the criminal needs to be identified and eliminated as a threat at the earliest possible moment. The community is best able to do this. A civil society is not just groups of people or civilians, it is or seeks to be a place of civility. Civil society exists as a community of mutual expectations and obligations. Manners are paramount. Apart from being a cost unreconciled, crime is a breakdown of decorum. Unfortunately, modern persons have no idea of the importance of manners. Crime is ultimately an attack on civility. Society has the right and obligation to demand civility that is a minimum level of decency. An attack on civil authority is an attack of civility for ultimately civil authority is the right of a tribe to impose certain levels of decorum on its members. Social misfits are visible. They are not hard to find. Errors in decorum are visible in school, in stores and out on the street. Acts of disorder and incivility are always a cost imposed on a tribal. Tribals targeted by the uncivil are allowed to charge the miscreant with a civil disturbance. There is a process that governs the process. False charges are as uncivil as any other misdemeanor. When this is required, a hearing is convened to adjudicate the matter. The court is composed of persons with direct knowledge of the case. The convening of a civil court has three steps. An incivility exists only after the offended has informed the offender, in private, of his or her incivility. The civil code is defined by common law and the general expectations of good conduct as it exists in the community. The common law can be expressed in written form if desired, but civility is determined by tradition and through the civil authority, not written law. Moral codes exist simply as a guide. If a person persists in uncivil behavior, witnesses to the events convene and as a body inform the offender that his or her behavior fails to meet basic standards. An elder takes these concerns to the offender accompanied by the plaintiffs. Each plaintiff makes a prepared statement in front of the elder, plaintiffs, and accused. No penalty is imposed, but the accused may offer to make restitution. This is at the sole discretion of the accused. If the offenses continue, plaintiffs and witnesses convene under the gavel of an elder. The case is heard, the costs ascertained and sanctions up to and including expulsion from the territory of the tribe are imposed. These steps are preferentially taken before any criminal event has occurred and even before any criminal liability needs to be imposed. The intent is to short-circuit the potential for criminal activity. However, if a criminal event occurs, the victim and witness under the gavel of an elder may convene a civil court, on condition the accused agrees to abide by the conclusions of the court. Costs are established for the offense. The penalty and charges are levied against the offender's account with the tribe. If the offender does not address these charges in a timely manner a civil court is convened to hear the case, impose sanctions up to and including expulsion. A person who attempts to rob a store can be apprehended by citizens, tried and costs imposed on his or her account. Convictions in absentia are valid where the felon has fled the jurisdiction. A person who is deemed a social misfit may have his or her freedom of movement restricted to certain areas and periods of the day. All misdemeanor convictions are fine amounts equal or greater than the costs created by the infraction. The purpose of justice being restitution. The cost imposed by the tribal authority is recorded in the convicted misfits accounts as a debit. Miscreant accounts are open to review periodically to determine the alacrity with fines are being liquidated. The funds, as they accrue, are credited to the accounts of those who were harmed by the crime in an agreed-upon sequence and up to an agreed-upon limit.